Well, we are continuing our series, as I mentioned, Matthew 5, continuing our series called The Life of Christ. Um, And we're in a little bit of a mini section within this series on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, Today, what I want us to do is look at three specific sections um, that kind of, uh, um, Jesus kind of, uh, I guess kind of flies through. We'll talk about that in a second, but uh, they seem uh, relatively unrelated, but we're going we're gonna to tie a big knot on this and tie a nice, nice bow on this because I believe what he's saying in these sections is something that, that uh, are related and we need to hear today. Take out your bulletin as well. There are some bulletin notes as there are each Sunday, but today I want you to fill some things in in there. Um, There are three sections. The first one is protection. The second is provision. And the third one is position. Now we're going to take these three sections of scripture. We're going to read them. We're going to come back and try to explain some things through those. The first section is in Matthew 5 and starts at verse 43. It says, you have heard the law that says, this is Jesus speaking, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. It says, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. So throughout uh, this part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is, is come up with, you've heard it said, this is what the law says, but I say, and he kind of uh, ramps it up a little bit and puts it in context. It's not just a matter, remember, of checking off boxes, climbing the ladder to put a smile on God's face so you get the keys to the kingdom. It's a matter of a heart issue. It's a heart change that takes place. Now, it's, it's good for us to know also the, the Sermon on the Mount, the, the big account of it is in uh, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, but Luke also picks up uh, on this account, and he gives in some cases a, a little bit more detailed account some of the things that Jesus was saying. And in this first section about enemies, I want us to jump over to Luke chapter 6 and follow up with Luke's account. And in Luke 6, verse 27, Jesus continues on this this idea of, or on the subject of enemies. He says, but to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, offer them the other cheek. If someone demands your coat, offer your shirt also. Give to anyone who asks, and when things are taken away from you, don't try to get them back. Do to others as you would like them to do to you. So that's the first section that Jesus addresses about enemies. I want us to go back over to Matthew, and this time, verse, or sorry, chapter 6 of Matthew. And Jesus follows up this, this subject of enemies, and he jumps on to a, a new subject. Verse 1 of chapter 6, he says, Watch out! Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. That's section two, talking about your gifts and the generosity and how you give. And he jumps into the third section here, starting in verse five. He says, when you pray, 
Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your, your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. You might conclude here as you read through this, you might read a little further, that Jesus is just kind of taking the shotgun approach, kind of, you know, he's got the shells loaded and he's like, and he's just kind of firing randomly. This isn't the case. In fact, there's a theme that's going through here, and we talked about this, this last week, it's not about checking off boxes. It's not a matter of, of doing the things we do in order to put a smile on God's face. And we talked about this last week, that it's not about what we do or what you do. It's about what Christ has done. It's so essential, and that keeps coming up over and over and over. This is about a heart issue, not about climbing the ladder and, and pleasing God um, by checking off these boxes. And so there are these three issues that, that Jesus talks about here, these three um, uh, confessions that, that we've made that I believe can be um, kind of demonstrated or explained in three questions. Those three questions are listed in your bulletin. I want you to fill in the blanks. The first question that we have is this, if I don't protect myself, who will? If I don't protect myself, who is going to do that? When it comes to the enemies, and we'll talk about this in a moment, but when it comes to our enemies, it's a matter of fear and about them having dominance over us. And so if we have to protect our, um, our domain, we better fight for it. The second question that comes out of this is if I don't provide for myself, who will? If I don't do it, who's going to look out for me? If I don't provide for myself, and this has to do with giving and with generosity, the third one is this, if I don't position myself, who will? If I don't promote, it would be another word you could put in there, if I don't position myself or I don't promote myself, who will? And these are questions we have. These are things that we, we are worried about. If I can use that word, you might say, well, I'm not worried about that. Well, let's talk about that. Let's unpack it. It might not be worry, but you're certainly concerned about it. These are things that we're all concerned about. It's an interesting side note, and I don't think it's just a novel uh, parallel, but you look back a few chapters earlier where, the, where Satan uh, is uh, uh, tempting Jesus out in the wilderness, and you have three specific temptations that line up perfectly with these worries that we have. You think about the, the one of, uh, hey, uh, Jesus, why don't you turn this stone into bread? What's the temptation? I need to provide for myself. Um, uh, hey, throw yourself down off of this and let the angels pick you up. It's this fear of protecting ourselves. And here, put yourself in this place and let everyone bow down to you and you will have this, all this will be yours and everyone will esteem you. It's the, it's the fear of not having a position, right? I don't think it's... it's um, uh, it's too much to say that there is a parallel there and it's there for a reason. These things are, are things that, that nag at every single one of us and I believe that's why Jesus was addressing this. First, the protection. Let's, let's look at this one for a minute. Jesus talks about enemies. And you notice he, 
he says, don't just tolerate them. He doesn't just say, hey, you're going to have enemies. Just find a way to, to keep the peace. And to... No, he doesn't say that. He actually goes to a, a different extreme. We're fearful of enemies and we're worried about our enemies because we are fearful of being taken advantage of. We're fearful of being attacked. Our, our comfort is at stake, our security, our peace, our assurance. And there almost seems in this world to be this new uh, rule of how to go about life. It's we need to stick it to them before it gets stuck to us. We need to, we need to dole it out before it gets doled out to us. Do unto others first before they do it to you. And we're on guard. We're, we got the antenna up. And we've taken animosity and hatred to an entirely different level. And I find it shocking that in a, in a culture, in a, in a, a society that, that touts and embraces and even promotes tolerance and diversity and that, but boy, we're better when we're different. We have more hatred and more discord in this world than we ever have in, in history. There's more a, a society that's more divided and full of hate than any other time. And it's a cultural norm nowadays that even if we disagree with someone, it has to go to the extreme of hatred. We can't just disagree with someone anymore. We have to raise it and elevate it to the point where we hate that person. And you see, sadly, it's, it's not just in the world. This is something that enters into church. This enters into Christianity. It, it grieves me every time when I hear a pastor, whether it's on, on television or, or it's on the internet or something, and you've all seen that where a pastor's sitting there and he's blasting the church down the street for not using the, the same uh, um, version of the Bible that they think is authorized, or they're not teaching grace the right way, or they're not teaching morality the right way. And so instead of, of, of knowing that we're brothers and sisters in Christ, there's hatred towards the church down the street because of, there's a difference, and, uh, a difference of opinion or, or seeing things from a different point of view. We do that within our Christian communion between brothers and sisters in Christ too. Someone who doesn't think the way we do or someone who doesn't, God forbid, vote the way we do or somebody who has a different opinion on civic matters or, or social aspects or whatever it might be. Maybe it's child rearing or marriage. And we have differences of opinion and instead of sitting there and going, you know what, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, we go, you know what, there's got to be something more here. That person's my enemy and I have to somehow hate them. You think about that. How that just gets into our lives and it gets into our, the way we go about our day-to-day -day lives. And what is it? It's fear-based, truly. It's based on fear that, I, that in some way, if I don't protect myself, who will? So I have to take the offensive and I have to elevate it to this point where I put up the barbed wire fence and that person is no longer a friend. That person is no longer a brother or sister in Christ. You see how things like this even enter into our Christian community. We hate those who disagree with us. And it seems to be a cultural standard right now. And as your pastor, let me simply say, we need to put an end to this. We need to put an end to this. 
We cannot keep shrinking back in fear and reacting out of fear and reacting out of animosity just because we have a different perspective with someone or a different point of view than someone. It's time to stop and we're called to live differently. You see, Jesus didn't say, hey, just tolerate your enemy. What in fact did he say? Luke picks up on this and that's why I pulled up that, that Luke uh, parallel and just didn't land in Matthew. Matthew kind of lost over Luke. He lands the plane. He picks up on exactly what Jesus was saying. What, is, what did Jesus say? Don't just tolerate your enemies. Love your enemies. And, and if you don't fully grasp the ramifications of that word, let me go the next step and, and, and I say, bless your enemy. Give to your enemy. Hope for the best for your enemy. Pray for your enemies. And, and you're going, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. And once again, right, we get into that whole yes, but theology. Yes, I understand. Oh, I, I know the heart of God. I know, but I'm, I don't know if I can go quite there. No, if we believe God who is who he says he is, and we believe Jesus came to do what he said and, and that he was going to do, and that is set us free and save us, and that we believe that Jesus is the one who came and gave us a pattern for life, and that his teachings are from the heart of the Father, then when he says we're called to bless our enemies and love our enemies and pray for our enemies, he means it. And so instead of living our lives based out of fear of, oh no, if someone's not going to protect me, if, if, if no one's going to protect me, then I have to. And we react out of that. We need to land, instead of fear, we need to land on faith. And know that He is the one who protects us. God is the one who protects us. God is the one who will preserve us. He is the one who will look out for our best interests far better than you can do on your own. And we certainly can step out in faith and know that we can follow in His patterns and we don't have to worry. We can do this because our protection does not rest in the hands of any other person. It rests in the hands of God Himself. Do we believe it or don't we believe it? We're called to live this out, not passively, but proactively. This is what Jesus was talking about when He talked about our enemies. You've heard it say... But I say, it's a hard issue. He goes on, provision. Jesus talks here about giving of our possessions, giving of our things of value. And, you know, we're, we're taught early on uh, the, the math, the simple math of the human realm, right? It, you know, it just, it doesn't make sense to give things away, does it? Because if we're all about acquiring and those things are things that meet our needs and it doesn't make sense to give those things away, does it? I learned this early on, even before grade school. You know, I, if I had a bag of 20 jelly beans and I gave 10 jelly beans away, I didn't have more, I had less. You ever thought about that? You know, you go up to uh, um, Hey Sugar up on the square there and you get this big bag of candy. And say you have 20 pieces of candy in there and you walk out on the street and there's a buddy of yours and you go, hey, how are you? And they're looking at your bag of candy. And you know you have to be nice and you're like, would you like some? And, yeah, and you know, so three or four acquaintances later, you're down to 10. 
You've shared, you've given, you've been generous, and yet, what? No, I have 10 now. I don't have 20 anymore. It's just this, this basic math, right? How about this? Okay, so we, um, how many of you like apple pie? Sort of talk about food this close to lunch, but uh, okay, so pretend we're at Thanksgiving dinner and, and there's this awesome, beautiful, gorgeous, delicious apple pie with the lattice top crust. And it's just, oh, it's, the aroma is filling the room. This apple pie is homemade. It's just fantastic. Well, it's cut into six slices. So there's six slices there. And it's your pie. Um, what happens when you give one away? You no longer have six pieces, do you? You have five pieces. And what happens if you give another one away? You don't have five anymore. You have four. How is that doing you any good? You want all six. If you're me, you want all six, right? And so you're, you, know, you take it off of the dinner table and you put it in the pantry or you take it in the other room. You hide it, right? No. Why? Because you see, it's just mad. If we give something, we don't have more. In fact, we have less. And, and that's our simple math. And it's based on our need to provide for ourselves. And it's based on if we don't have this anymore in our hands, it doesn't belong to us and it's not going to benefit us. So we get into this attitude of give as little as possible. That we are going to give as little as is required. Or do we get to this point where we, we think, okay, I'm going to give, keeping in mind what has the biggest return on investment. So we get thinking, I walk out of Hey Sugar with a bag of candy, and is this a friend who is popular? Is this a friend who can maybe return the favor at some point? Is this a friend who will maybe benefit me at some point and, and provide for my needs? Or you're sitting at a Thanksgiving dinner and you have that, that pie and you're looking at a person who might be the life of the party or you have some, and it, it's human nature to then give thinking of our own provisions on the back end of that. So no longer is it just the simple math of if I give, I won't get anything back and I will, I'll be uh, lacking in this area. We get thinking, okay, if I give, how can I get in return? And this is what Jesus was saying. When you give, don't think about how you return. Because that's fear-based living. As we live that out, thinking about what do I have in return or will I be lacking at the end, it's saying, who will provide for me? And if no one's going to provide for me, I have to provide for myself, fully eliminating the fact that God is the one who is our provider. And he is the one who will give all that we need. You see, we're mortal and we're physical. And we get thinking that if we Give more, we will have less. Then some way we have to acquire in the same way we have to do more and get more. But you see, we're spiritual beings and, and our accumulation, Scripture says, are not here in this mortal realm or this human realm. Our, our things that we're accumulating are the blessings of, of the eternal and of the kingdom of heaven. We're going to talk about this more next week, uh, where moth and rust and, and that does not destroy. Whereas the things here on this earth are prone to failing us.
talking about the kingdom of God. We're, talk, we're talking about the generosity that comes from our heart. You notice it says in this section, Jesus says, when you give. Notice he doesn't say, if you give. It's a foregone conclusion that we are going to give and that we're going to be deliberate in that giving. He encourages his followers to do this in private, to do it um, uh, not secretly, but to do it in a place that's not out there and it's not just saying, look at me and benefiting me. But then he also concludes that, you know what, there's a blessing attached to that. And there's a, there's blessing that comes. And it's all about living faith-filled rather than fear-filled. Finally, he gets on to this about positioning ourselves. He says, when you pray, again, he says, when, not if. Not if you pray, but when you pray. He says, keep this thing in mind. That your tendency is going to want to be to manage and be calculating about this in the same way your giving is. He says, your spirituality is going to be something that you will have in your mind to be calculated about and you will be strategic about and you will start to, the, the, the tendency or the, the temptation will be to check off these boxes to try to put a smile on God's face. He says, don't let that be the case. Don't manage this and don't be calculated about this. Here, it's this fear of insignificance. This fear of being, it's like, it's, it take, let me take you back to your school days at, at risk of, of, you know, putting cold sweats and, you know, this, uh, um, this bad experience that you had in grade school. Think about the, the, the play yard, maybe at recess, when, when the two most popular people in class were picking teams for dodgeball. Okay, and uh, I don't know about you, but I wasn't the, the most popular kid. I wasn't the most athletic kid, but I always wanted to be on the team that was going to win. And so what would I do? I wouldn't shrink back. I'd sit there and I'd try to, you know, posture myself to get picked on the, you know, so I'd sit there before the, you know, I'd be practicing, you know, I'd be, you know, doing a little strutting and, you know, I'd be kind of, acting and what was I doing I was promoting myself I wanted to promote myself to be on the good team why so that we'd win my my fear was being left out my fear was being isolated my fear was not being uh, valued and you see we all do that you might just go man Darren you got hang-ups no we all got that hang-up we all fear being isolated we all fear being alone we all fear not having value and in varying ways and forms in that, we feel this, what we asked earlier, if, someone's, if no one's going to promote me, I have to do it myself. I somehow have to do this. Who's going to promote me? No, I have to promote myself. I have to posture myself. We're afraid of loneliness. We're afraid of irrelevance. We're afraid of abandonment. And we fear not fitting in. It's just this vice grip on our lives. There's this, um, this research group that, that did this uh, uh, experiment. It was a social experiment a number of years ago. And you might have seen uh, this one or one like it on, on YouTube or maybe on a TV show at some time. But, but these, uh, <clears throat> this research group had a, a group of 30 students come into this classroom. And up on the board, up on the whiteboard, they had two lines drawn, line A and line B. One was longer than the other, noticeably longer than the other. Well, 28 of those students were told to 
Pick the opposite when asked which one was the longest line. Two of the students weren't in on it. And so when they all 30 come in and the, the teacher at the front of the class goes through this exercise and say, now there are two lines on this board up at the, uh, the front of the class. Uh, class, would you tell me which line is longer than the other? And, and obviously the two are sitting there and they go, man, it's obvious that B is shorter than the other. Well, one by one, as the others start going, no, line A is longer, line A is longer. And the other ones are they're just about to raise their hand when you know, person four and five and six and seven, and then they start doubting themselves. Looking, it's funny because you see the cameras, uh, you know, on these people who aren't in on this, this experiment, and, and they're sitting there and they're looking around and they're kind of, you know, kind of rubbing their eyes and looking, am I really seeing that? And they start to doubt themselves. Why? Because they don't want to be the only person in that group who says something different. Why? They, they fear isolation. They fear being wrong. They fear being left out. And each and every time, those two cave and in fact say that the shorter line is in fact the longer line. You call it peer pressure. You call it whatever. It's, it's this fear that we live in. That if... No one is going to promote me. I have to. I have to step in there and I have to do it for myself. And this is what Jesus was addressing on this Sermon on the Mount. And you see, it all really comes down to this lack of this relationship with God and knowing who He is and what He says He will do. Once again, do we truly believe the Word of God? Do we truly believe that God is who He says He is? And if we do, we can put our full weight on Him. Not hedging our bets and saying, well, maybe. When He says, I will protect you, I will provide for you, I will position you, does He truly mean what He says? I want you to take out your bulletin. I want, to write, I want you to write three things in each of those uh, areas, response to each of those questions. In the first one where it says, if I don't protect myself, who will? I want you to write in there with bold letters, God is my provider. Or sorry, my protector. God is my protector. If I don't, it, it, you know, who's going to protect me? God is. And I want you to write that down as a statement of faith in your life. Draw a line in the sand. If I don't protect myself, who will? God is my protector. He is the one. So I can step into a situation. I can step into a, a conversation with a friend of mine or a brother or sister in Christ or even someone out in the community who, who believes or, 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 or thinks differently than I do. Somebody who's, you know, my next door neighbor who's run their fence line down on the wrong line. And I'm, I'm getting riled up in anger because I think he's infringing on my area and I'm feeling like i got to stand up for all my, my rights and that. Well, you know what? Who's going to protect you? You can go into that knowing that God is the one who, who stands with you and God is the one who will do battle and wage war on your behalf. You don't have to do those things on your own. God is my protector in, the, in response to the question, if I don't provide for myself, I want you to write just as a statement of faith, God is my provider. 
God is my provider. I know many of you uh, are, are uh, small business owners. You're, you work for yourself. And there's a true fear that, that week to week, job to job, you don't know where money's going to come in from. Maybe you get, on another end of things, we've got a lot of parents here, kids in, in elementary school, kids in high school, kids going off to college and that. And there's a real fear of protect. If I don't protect, who's going to protect my family? I want you to write an a, a edict, a, a confession on that page right in front of you. God is my provider. God is my protector. God is my provider. God will provide. Even if I don't feel like I can provide for myself, God will provide. And finally, if I don't position myself or I don't promote myself, who will? And I want you to write down in there, God gives me my identity. God gives me my value. I want you to write it in there. Just a statement of faith. I think these are things that we need to continue to remind ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to remind us of. That we are not fear-based, we are faith-based. We are not reacting in our lives to fear, we are reacting in our lives to faith and who God says we are. In Timothy, in the book of Timothy, you throw that verse up there, Cheryl. In, in Timothy, Paul is, is speaking to this young ministry leader who's under his charge, and he's mentoring Timothy. And Paul lands on this. You, you talk about the story of Paul, one that is, and I tell you, he had a rough life. He's doing the Lord's work, and yet life is not smooth for him. He's going through trial after trial, hardship after hardship, tough situation, tough setting. You talk about opposition, even within the church. He's coming in and, and man, there's some conflict there. And yet, what does he say? We've talked about this a number of times over the last few months, this verse. Paul says, that is why I'm suffering as I am, yet, I know, yet this is no cause for shame, no cause for concern. I would even say in there, no cause for fear. Why? Because I know whom I've believed and I'm convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Just leave it up there for a second. Is that a statement that you can make? I know the character of God. I know who He is. I know what His Word says. I know this to be true. Therefore, I'm convinced that He's able to accomplish in my life what He said He'll do. I don't have to fear. I don't have to worry. I don't have to freak out. I don't have to manage this myself. I don't have to get all my ducks in a row. I don't have to climb the ladder. I don't have to check off the boxes. It's not about what I do. It's about what he has done and what he's going to continue to do in my life. Do I believe it? Yes. Will I live it out? Yes. This is where I'm going. Keep, uh, flip on to that next verse, or the next verse. He says, what you have heard from me, keep as a pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in yourself. No, in Christ Jesus. Go on. He says this, guard the good deposit. Guard it. This is a gift that's been given to you. You need to guard it. You need to protect it. You need to stand firm on it. And he says, how? On your own merits? On your own? The own? No, he says, guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You can't do it on your own. It's not a matter of just grunting it and gritting your teeth and going, Arr! 
I'm going to protect this. No way. Allow the Holy Spirit to come and, and, and bolster this up in your life. Turn over to that uh, 2 Corinthians 4 verse. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4 is another verse. It says there in verse 6, Paul is also talking to the, the, the Christian church there in Corinth. He says, For God who said, Let there be light in darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Go on to the next one. He says, We now have this light shining in our hearts. When you surrender your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life. The Holy Spirit's empowering you. It says, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. Another version says we have this tre these treasure in jars of clay. How many of you at times feel fragile at best? And you're, you're trying and you're trying, but man, all it takes is one tough day or one tough week and you're just a mess. Um, you come down with the flu and you realize just how fragile your clay jar is. This makes it clear that our power is from God and not from ourselves. Can we just land there? We can't do this on ourselves. Go on to the next. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus. Woe is me, but <laughs> the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Praise the Lord. We don't have to surrender to fear. We don't have to live our lives freaking out what will happen next. We don't have to protect ourselves. We don't have to provide for ourselves. We don't have to promote ourselves. Why? Because he says he will do it. We're knocked down, we're crushed, we're, we're perplexed, but we are not overcome by this. Why? Because it's His light within us. It's His power at work in weakness. Praise the Lord. And you can do this and I can do this. You don't have to fear. You don't have to worry. We don't have to fall into this pit of hating our enemies and getting into this aggressive kind of, well, this person thinks differently, so man, I got to do this. And we don't have to posture ourselves and, and hoard everything fearful that what might come tomorrow. And at the same time, we don't have to walk strutting around like, like if we don't, we're somehow going to fall off the face of the earth and become insignificant. What does that say about God and his character and who he is? Will we put our full faith and our hope and our trust, our full weight on Him, or won't we? And I want to encourage you this week, look for places that you can do that. Ask Him, say, Lord, not that I, I want to be tested, but Lord, would you take me into some opportunities and, and help those alarm bells to go off in my brain and in my heart? When, and would you just speak to me and say, Darren, this is an opportunity. I want to, I want to remind you how faithful I am. This is an opportunity where, where you in fear would be prone to get aggressive and, and start to hate this person who thinks differently than you do. On a civic matter, might, might completely be on a different page than you and yet you'd be prone in, in your fear to get in this relationship of animosity. Let me just remind you here that I'm the one who protects you. And then listen and... and 
take that next step. When it comes to providing the fear of, of can we make ends meet and can we, you know, what's the economy of earth versus the economy of heaven? Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. And then just in prominence and the value that you have, allow Him to speak to you and stretch you and exercise your faith. Let's bow our heads.